Today's Bible readings is from Colossians 3, 1 to 21. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Thanks, Georgia. Good morning. It's good to uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. It's good to see so many familiar faces. It's also wonderful to see uh, so many uh, new faces uh, worshiping here. Uh, and uh, yeah, I bring greetings from Wilson uh, Church. And um, yeah, just really excited to hear the things that um, some of the things that uh, Josiah was talking about that are happening amongst the congregation. It's uh, it's wonderful. Well, can I um. Can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open in front of you uh, as we're going to think about uh, what we've just read from Colossians chapter 3. Now we're going to be considering uh, from this passage how uh, the good news of Jesus and what he has done for us and what he has done doing in us, how it should shape our lives together as families. Uh, now uh, the book of Colossians, uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Colossians, uh, it was written by uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, it was, uh, it, and it sort of falls into two halves. Uh, 
in the first half of the book, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul really explores uh, what God has done through Jesus for our salvation, how we are saved by grace through faith, uh, and how uh, Jesus has done everything that we need for salvation. But then in the second half of the book, uh, beginning in chapter 3 here, he moves on to how God's grace should shape our lives. Uh, you'll notice that um, uh, in, in verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, that he goes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. And he talks about uh, the, the wonderful new standing we have before God because Jesus has, has lifted us up out of our sin and united us uh, to God. This is how we should live. Put to death, he says, therefore, in verse 5. Now, in, in verses 5 to uh, to. 11, Paul explores the whole idea of how our salvation should impact uh, our personal lives, uh, should shape our identity and our actions as individuals. Uh, then in verses uh, 12 to 17, he, he turns to reflect how our salvation should impact our life together as church, as God's people. And then finally in verses 18 to 21, he stops and he thinks about how then our salvation should impact uh, our marriages and our families. And, and these are the verses that we're going to be focusing on this morning. Uh, now, it's how we live, I think, at home uh, as husbands and wives, as parents and children uh, that can be one of the most telling uh, indicators of our spiritual maturity. You see, because I think we can, we can put on a pious front uh, when we're out in public. We can put on a pious front when we're, when we're at work or when we're at church. But sadly, it's, it's often when we get home and we let down our guard that our true self is revealed. You see, it's, it's how we, we, we treat our wives. It's how we treat our husbands. It's how we speak to our kids uh, when we are tired, when we're frustrated, when we're stressed, that our true commitment to living out our, our salvation, to living consistent God-honouring lives is shown. But Jesus calls us, Jesus calls us to live consistent, unhypocritical lives. You see, he is as much interested in how we live behind closed doors as about how we live in public. Now, Paul gives us here four short but profound commands addressed to us in our different roles in life to show how a commitment to Jesus should shape our families. Now, we're going to deal um, with uh, the first two together, uh, and then we'll deal with the second two. So we'll look at uh, what Paul says here about wives and husbands, and then we'll look at what he says about children and parents. But before we, think, uh, we jump in and think specifically about what Paul says in these verses, I just want us to stop and think about the idea of uh, roles within relationships. The whole idea of roles within relationships. Because uh, the very idea of uh, roles in marriage and even in parenting in some uh, quarters today is something that is often misunderstood and is rejected uh, by our culture. 
Now, I wonder if, um, I wonder if you've ever been uh, to watch uh, a game of junior soccer. Like, I'm talking like under sixes, under sevens, that sort of uh, junior soccer. Now, when, when little kids play soccer, there's basically just this, this clump of kids that just sort of chase the ball around the oval. Wherever the ball is, there the clump of kids are. Uh, when I was growing up uh, in New South Wales, uh, this, this style of soccer was affectionately known as beehive soccer. It was just like a swarm of bees just following the ball around. Now, it usually results in lots of bruised shins and not very many goals. You see, in beehive soccer, in beehive soccer, no one's really thinking about anyone else. Everyone's just there to get a kick of the ball themselves. They want to be the ones to kick the ball next. They want to be the one to try and score the goal. No one is thinking about the greater good of the team and how they can work more effectively together. In fact, if it wasn't for the, uh, the different coloured shirts, it would often be impossible uh, to tell who was on what team. Now, as kids grow older, though, as kids grow older, they learn that, that this approach of every man for himself, this approach just doesn't work. It's not effective. They learn that if they want to play well, then, then they have to learn to work effectively together as a team. Uh, they, need, they need to learn that each player needs to play a particular role, that some need to be committed to defence, that some players need to be committed to attack and that somebody needs to play goalie. Now, who is the most important person on a soccer team? Who is the most important person on a soccer team? Well, the answer is no one, despite what the strikers might try and tell you. (laughs) The answer is no one. Each player has to play its role, else the team doesn't play well. Now, it might be tempting to say, well, the captain. The captain's the most important player on the team. But actually, the captain just has the most responsibility. You see, if the team fails to perform, then it's the captain that wears the heat. Now, the same is true in the relational dynamics in marriage and in families. So that they will succeed, so that they will be places where people flourish, God the Creator has ordained an order. He's assigned roles and responsibilities according to to who we are and how we fit into the family, to wives and husbands, to parents and children. Now let's have a look at what, uh, what Scripture says here about these roles, looking first at wives and husbands. So in verse 18 we read this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Now, for our culture and for that is hypersensitive to anything that smells of gender role differences, a passage like this might come of something as a shock. I mean, after all, it speaks about wives submitting to husbands. What do we make of this? Now, 
we shouldn't uh, in any way think that this implies that wives are somehow inferior to husbands. Uh, Far from it. In fact, the word that is used here for submit uh, is also used of Jesus Christ in his relationship to God the Father in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, the Bible is clear that Jesus, as the Son and the Father, are one along with the Holy Spirit. They are one with regard to their being. That is who they are. They are equally God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are one. And yet for the sakes of salvation, we read that Jesus has submitted himself to the Father's leadership. And so it is, the picture that we get in Scripture, so it is in the husband-wife relationship. We are equal. We're equal with regard to who we are, to our value, our worth. But God has created us differently. He has created us uh, in a a codependent and a complementary way. He has built that into our very design. And he has given us different roles so that we may flourish, so we may work as a team together. Now the first thing to note, first thing to note here in what Paul writes is how he pairs these commands. You see, wives are called to submit. Now, in our world, uh, what is the the natural opposite to submission? Well, well, it's authority, isn't it? Uh, But nowhere in the passage are husbands called to exercise authority. Do you notice that? In fact, husbands are are called to do just the opposite. Husbands are called to love. Not to exercise authority, but to love. Now the word that uh, is used here in the Greek for love uh, is the word agape. Uh, It's it's a Greek word and it's a self-defining, sorry, it's a self-giving love. Agape love is a a love that, that reaches out to the other, that sacrifices. It's not uh, a romantic sentimentalism that Paul is talking about here. It's not sexual love. It's not a sort of feeling, an emotion that comes and goes that Paul is talking about here when he says, husbands love your wives. No, he's talking about an intentional, an outgoing, a sacrificial love that husbands are to have. Uh, In fact, the Bible in in 1 uh, John 3.16 defines this love in this way. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Uh, in one, uh, in, sorry, in Ephesians, which is a, a sort of parallel passage to this, uh, to this passage we're looking at uh, today in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul picks up uh, this reality and he makes it explicit uh, when he says this, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the counterpart to submission is not authority, but sacrificial love, servant leadership. Husbands are commanded to love your you're commanded to love your wives sacrificially. 
to lead them, not for your good, but for their good. To lead them so that they flourish. Marriage is to be a picture of the gospel. It's to be a picture of the gospel. Husbands sacrificially loving, wives trustingly following. In fact, if you have kids, uh, then uh, your marriage relationship will be your children's first, uh, first and most powerful vision of the gospel. Secondly, uh, it's important to notice uh, who these commands are given to. Uh, wives are commanded to submit. Uh, and it's interesting to note that the form of the Greek here emphasises uh, that this is to be a freely made choice. A freely made choice. Husbands are commanded to love. Now notice who the commands are given to. This is important. Husbands are not called to make their wives submit. And wives are not called to make their husbands love them. Sadly, too many uh, marriages, I think, uh, turn into sort of manipulative battlegrounds. Uh, battlegrounds where, where partners are so focused on trying to make the other person do their job, obey their command, that neither is focused on what they're actually called to do. But you see, while ever there is manipulation, while ever there is a holding your spouse to ransom saying, well, well, I'm only going to do my part when you start doing your part. While ever there's that sort of dynamic within a, a marriage, not only are we acting sinfully, but we'll never experience the true joy that marriage can be. Husbands, you are called to love your wives sacrificially. That means putting her needs before your own, delighting to serve her. Now Paul adds here that, that this love, this sacrificial self-giving is to manifest itself in gentleness. Your leadership is to be a joy to them. It's to empower, it's to encourage, it's to strengthen. It's never to be with force. It's always to be with gentleness. If you are not loving your wife in such a way that it's a delight for her to follow you, for her to be led by you, then that and that alone, husbands, is your task. Is to transform your leadership into Christ-like leadership that is a joy to follow. And wives, you are called to submit yourselves to your husband, in, to your husband's leadership in such a way that you are a joy to lead. And if that is not a case, then that and that alone is your command, your task from God. Now you might hear this uh, and you might think, this is impossible. How can I give myself like this? How can I lead sacrificially? How can I submit? How can I give myself and not fight to have my own needs met? Well, the simple answer is that in our natural selves, it's near on impossible. 
You see, because of the fall, because of our sinful natures, we are all wired to be selfish. We're, we're wired to, to demand and take rather than to give and love. But the truth is that the gospel uniquely equips us to be able to be selfless toward our spouse because in the gospel, Jesus Christ has met our every true need. You see, we can only truly fulfill these commands if we truly learn to rest in Christ who loved us even unto death who declared our eternal worth as he was willing to give up his life in our place to bear the punishment for our sin and who has won us eternal security who has won us eternal hope and eternal blessing that's why this section begins why Paul begins this, this section of how do we live in response to the gospel? It's why he begins in verse 1, saying that, that we are to set our hearts not on earthly things, but on things above. On our richness in Christ, on who has loved us and met our every true need. You see, it's only as we do that, that husbands will be able to love as they should. Not demanding but with gentleness and grace. And it's only as we do that that wives will be able to live out of the eternal security they have in Christ that they'll be able to give themselves to their husband's leadership. Now the beautiful thing about God's plan for marriage is that when both partners are fulfilling their part well, when both partners are giving to the other, then both will be having their needs met. Not in a competitive way, but in a giving way. But sadly in our culture, uh, and, and even sometimes in our churches, too many marriages have become battlegrounds. Places where there's a, there's a battle for, for supremacy, a battle for control, a battle to, to make the other person do for them what they think they need. Places of manipulation rather than love. But marriages like this become just like beehive soccer. Places where people are on the same team, but they're kicking each other in the shins. Because they're unwilling to play their role for the greater good of the marriage and the wider family. So first Paul addresses wives and husbands. Secondly, he addresses uh, children and parents. Now, God has uh, not only given uh, order and responsibility to the marriage relationship, but he has given it too to the parent-child relationship. In verses uh, 20 and 21, we read, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. So scripture calls here, calls on children uh, to trust their parents enough to follow their instructions obediently. Uh, now this is not necessarily easy, uh, nor is it necessarily popular. 
Uh, in fact, if my experience of childhood, in particular teenagehood, is anything to go by, uh, <clears throat> it was usually seen uh, as pretty cool to disobey your parents. Uh, and uh, it was pretty cool to, to bag your parents out when you got together with your friends. But young people, that's not what we're called to do. It's not what we're called to do. If you want to honour Jesus, then you'll choose to act counterculturally. Instead of acting cowardly and just sort of following the crowd, you'll choose instead to honour your parents in front of your peers. You'll choose instead to trust their wisdom and to follow it and to be obedient. Now, unlike turtles uh, who just uh, lay their eggs in a big hole on the beach and then rack off back out to sea and then leave their kids to fend for themselves, God has ordained that, that parents are to love and to protect and to guide their children, to guide them into wives' choices and ultimately to need, lead them to follow him. Now, young people, you need to trust in God's wisdom given through your parents. You see, they are on your side. It may not feel like it when you're a teenager, but they are on your side. They want what's best for you. And they are God's gift to you. They are God's gift to you. You'll be wise if you choose the path of obedience. Not only will you be richly blessed, but you'll please the Lord, as it says here, because you'll be honouring the gift that he has given in the parents that he has given you. But children are not only the, one, are not only the ones that have a responsibility. Uh, Paul also here addresses fathers. Now notice here that fathers are singled out as responsible for the nurture of your children. Now Paul uh, could have used the word parents. Uh, in fact, he's used the word parents in just the verse before when he says, uh, children, obey your parents. But he doesn't. Paul chooses to use the word fathers. He focuses on them. Fathers, the church is not responsible for, your, for nurturing your children. Nor is the school responsible. Nor is the government responsible for nurturing your children, uh, despite what our culture says. Nor is your wife ultimately responsible. Fathers, God has made you the captain. As leaders of your marriages and homes, God has called you to take responsibility for the nurture of your children. Now, this is not to say that mothers uh, don't have a crucial role. Absolutely, they do as part of the team. It is a team. We work together. But dads, the buck stops with you. When God calls us to account for our families, it will be to you that he calls first. Now, this means... This means that, that, fathers, you need to spend quality time with your kids. You need to prioritise it. You need to, to take an intentional interest in what is going into their heads, in what they are learning, in how they are growing, in how they're engaging with the world. 
Now, specifically, Paul says uh, that fathers are not to embitter their children uh, or they will become discouraged. This means that the way that we, are to, that we, that we nurture our children needs to be empowering. Uh, it needs to be encouraging. Ultimately, uh, it, we need to be modelling Christ so that our children may be drawn to him. Now, one of the things that can uh, embitter and crush our children is when we try to make them just like us. Fathers, don't burden your children with your own sinful pride, constantly comparing them to yourself. You know, when I was your age, and so the story goes. Our job is not to make our kids like us. Our job is not to make our kids like us. It's to help our kids to grow to become like Christ. Another way that we can crush and discourage our children is when we try to live out our dreams through them. Fathers, your children are not your trophies. It's one thing to empower them to succeed. It's another to load them up with the pressure of you trying to succeed through them. Whether that's on the sporting field, whether that's academically, whether it's in their career, whatever it looks like, trying to live out your dreams through your children just loads them up with pressure that they shouldn't have to bear. Finally, we can embitter and discourage our kids when we demand of them a level of spiritual uh, commitment that we ourselves don't live up to. Fathers, your children see so much more than you think. They see your hypocrisy. Not only is it deeply discouraging, but they will learn from it. What your children need most is to see you genuinely seeking to follow Jesus with all your heart. Loving your wives sacrificially. Modelling honesty. Modelling humility. Seeking forgiveness when you fail. So that they not only hear you us talking about the gospel, but see it in your lives. See you living it. And what they need is you. You getting alongside them. Expressing your love in tangible ways. Even saying, yes, saying explicitly, I love you. Do your kids know that? That you love them? Have you told them that? I was shocked one night, quite a few years ago. Um, we were sitting around chatting. And um, a young fellow of about um, 18 years old uh, made the comment that he couldn't remember the last time that his dad had told him that he loved him. Fathers, your children need you. Not just what you can provide. They don't just need money or food or clothes or a house. They need you. I encourage you to go home today and to sit down with your children and to ask them, what do I do that discourages you? How can I love you better? And be humble enough to listen 
humble enough to listen to what they say. Now this command, uh, you'll notice here that the command is given primarily to dads. Uh, but the reality is that, that mums need to be conscious uh, of, of falling into discouraging patterns of behaviour as well. But the command here in the command, Paul singles out fathers. Now whether we are a wife or a husband, a parent or a child, if we are to live out our role well, then we need to press ever more deeply into Jesus. We need to press ever more deeply into our identity, who we are in him, and live out of the love that we have in him, the security that we have in him, the knowledge that we are accepted in him. And we need to humbly acknowledge that when we fail, and we do, that what he wants us to do is to return to him humbly, seeking repentance, so that he may strengthen us, so that he may strengthen us to live more and more like Christ in our families. We need to be willing to ask forgiveness not only from God, but from other family members. And we need to be willing to extend forgiveness when, when relationship has broken down. The gospel meets needs to be at the centre of our marriages and at the centre of our families so that we'll truly experience all that God intended them to be. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for marriage. We thank you so much for family. We thank you so much for this design that you have created, that you have built into the fabric of this world. Father, we thank you for the way that you have equipped us as husbands and wives, as men and women, for the task that you have called us to. Father, we pray that you would help us to press ever more deeply into Christ, into who he is, so that, Lord, we may be able to live for you ever more fully in the context of our families, in our marriages and in our uh, roles as parents and children. Father, we pray this in Jesus' precious name.